Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on uh, the show, we got a guest, Justin Simpton. Simpton? Simpton. Yeah. Simpton. Simpton, yeah. Simpton. I might, uh, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. I get everything hey, wrong hey. all the time. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, who you are, your background, basic concepts of op- open theism. It seems to me that you are new to not necessarily open theism, but the different ranges of open theism, the different possible beliefs that right. can encompass the broader scope of open theism. And then I'd hope to talk a little bit about your own life, spiritual warfare, uh, how uh, the divine world interacts with the material world, things of that nature. Because I know you, that you have some background in, in uh, personal experiences related to these topics. Yeah. So can you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your background, where you're coming from, and and uh, how you came to uh, uh, the God is Open Facebook group? Well, I assume that that kind of, or I guess that includes my testimony. Would I be correct in that? Yeah, go ahead. All right, it's, I'll try to give the uh, the condensed version, and it'll have to actually start at my birth. So... I was born, I'm 38, I'm going to be 39 soon, born in 1981 in uh, Galveston, Texas, down here on the the Gulf Coast. And um, so I was born fine. I'm the uh, first child of my parents. I only have one brother, um, and he's younger. But I was the first, you know, the firstborn, and I was born fine. And six weeks after I was born, um, I got really jaundice, which means, you know, the skin gets yellow, etc., when you're a baby and you know, they tried the lights and stuff like that and it didn't go away. So they did some tests and they found that I had a disease, which you contract after birth and they don't, they don't know exactly how, because like I said, I was born fine, um, called biliary atresia. And it's like a, a slow, it, it messes up the bile duct. And, and then that also it, it attacks your liver over time. So what they did was they ended up making in my side when I was a baby, a J Jewostomy. I know people have heard of colostomy bags and stuff like that. So they made a J Jewostomy, which basically there was a hole in my side and we had to growing up through my childhood, I had to have it, which was not fun, but it, it, they routed the bile duct to where the bile comes out um, into that bag. It wasn't, uh, you know, the restroom, uh, you know, when I had to use the restroom, it was strictly bile. Um, so that bought me time. And I had that all the way until I was about 14, you know, I got made fun of in school and things like that and kind of had a hard time growing up, but it still did pretty normal activities, like really normal. I actually, uh, got into just, doing, you know, what a lot of little boys do, playing in ditches and catching turtles and fish and getting dirty and stuff like that. So that, that part was good. Um, so they, you know, as I got older, they realized that the liver was, even with that, that just bought time, the liver was eventually going to go bad. So around when I was 14, they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it back in. We're going to put the, your, with my intestine, you could literally see my intestine sticking out. 
they're like, well, we're going to put it back in and close it. Then you're going to, your condition is going to get worse. And then that's going to get you on the liver transplant list. Um, and, you know, we'll go from there. So they did that and um, they give you a beeper back in the day. And when that beeper goes off, you call immediately because if they get a liver for you, you got to roll. And um, so I had one false alarm in the summer, uh, right before uh, starting eighth grade. And then I started eighth grade for like the third week into eighth grade. And they actually called on the phone and I had a little landline phone in my room at my parents' house back in the day, and I, I answered it, and the, the nurse just said, you know, hi, Justin, it's time, and I was like, oh, wow, and then my mom had picked up the, the, the phone from the living room, and I heard them start to talk, so I just hung it up, and um, so I, I remember, um, I remember, you know, them signing papers, and I, I, I always had a lot of questions for some reason, and I was always trying to see, well, what are you doing? And what is that? And stuff like that. And I remember them signing the paper. Probably shouldn't have seen it, but that, you know, my parents couldn't sue the hospital if I were to die from anesthesia or complications during surgery, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of stuck with me a little. And I'd already had surgeries. Um, when they put that back in, I had uh, like a hernia repair in my stomach. And I had bit out, been uh, put under by using the, the gas, like, the laughing gas, it kind of gives you the kick. And then the IV, the actual hardcore anesthesia stuff takes over. But I would go out kind of what I felt like was hyperventilating and I would get scared. And so I hadn't had enough surgeries by then to say, hey, I just want the IV, something to knock me out. I don't want to sit there and go and start breathing real hard and kind of go out under fear. Yeah. And um, so I remember having the IV and saying bye to my parents and um, they're wheeling me back. And I remember the lady going, here we go. And then she, she did the, uh, the syringe into the IV and I felt heat go up my arm, like not quite burning to where it hurts, but almost to where it hurts. And when it got up here, I was out. And um, next thing you know, I woke up and had the ventilator in and, you know, I don't know if you've ever had surgery or anybody who, know what i'm talking about you kind of come in and out and in and out and each time you get more and more of your consciousness back etc and so i as soon as i could i wrote on a pad you know take this thing out i wanted i wanted that uh ventilator that ventilator out and so i was writing uh on a pad to the nurses because i couldn't even speak or anything and um they took it out i had a um it's not a near-death experience it's a uh i call it, it it's it's probably hasn't been heard of by too many people, but I call it a separation experience, but I, I never left my body. Something very interesting happened. And I'm going to actually come back to that because it plays in a big part as to uh, what happened later on, right when I first became a believer. So they got the liver transplant. And then, you know, not too long after that, because they have to put you, they have to do a blood transfusion to keep giving you blood because you lose a lot during the surgery. And they said, Oh, well, Somehow you got hepatitis C. Sorry about that. And I'm like, oh, great. Because it, it can, it can, if it uh, becomes active, it'll attack your liver. And the survival rate of people, number one, getting a second liver, just just to get a second liver is low. And then to survive after that is, is even lower. So I was like, oh, crap. So 
that was, you know, around 15, 16, because I had the transplant when I was at, when I was 15. So that kind of set me on the course of like face, face with death, you know, like actual death that young. And so I was started asking questions and reading and things and starting to look for answers. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to die, I want to know what's going to happen to me if I die. And so that began, you know, a search, a, a kind of a slow search. And I went, actually went into, uh, looked on the science side of things. I got actually kind of deep into uh, particle physics, uh, quantum physics, read a few books, uh, read um, Feynman's QED and different things like that. And, um, you know, I, and I saw in there, in, they even say it, you know, a lot of these, uh, the physicists say that it's like someone's messing with us. You know, when they started seeing light, light particles and photons doing crazy things, they were like amazed and I saw that and I just kind of thought, man, it's almost like there's a personality behind that. But, you know, that was as far as it went. So I wanted to get a grasp on the universe, you know, and whatever. I guess that was a natural inclination to get an idea of my surroundings, but on a much larger scale. You know, and I looked into Eastern mysticism. I looked into, um, I don't know if y'all heard of Eckhart Tolle and just kind of stuff like that. Um, just spiritualism type stuff. And I was like, okay. And, um, and so along that search, I had, um, my first daughter and that kind of, cause believe it or not having, uh, a transplanted liver, I, I wanted to be as normal as possible. And I wanted to feel normal as a person. Cause I grew up, not that this is right, but I grew up with that bag and stuff. So I drank and did drugs and it was, it was stupid. And, um, so when I had my first daughter, I kind of changed gears a little bit and, um, you know, fell in love with her, of course. And um, I remember watching, this is when things really started. So I remember watching something, you know, a documentary or something about Schindler's List. That wasn't actually the movie called Schindler's List, but I guess a documentary about the Holocaust, I should say. And I remember um, being in an apartment that we lived in at the time and just seeing these people, you know, they're nude in, in the documentary, but obviously, you know, you can't see anything. But, and with their children and they're comforting their children in line as they're going to be killed, you know, in the gas chambers or burned, incinerated or whatever. And I was just, you know, and I just had my daughter and I was like, so you're telling me these people are in line knowing that them and they're, they're comforting their children when they're going to be just destroyed. And I, and I kind of recognized in my mind, that was an injustice. And then I said to myself, I said, and these got people who did it they just get away with it i'm like that just is crazy that just that doesn't seem right you know and that's kind of all i thought of it at the time and then i remember picking up uh, the bible and starting to read genesis one and just being like oh i didn't have a problem with it i was just like oh, oh that sounds cool in the beginning god created blah, blah blah and i just left it at that well this evangelist dude came to the apartment and you know did the full evangelism thing and and then at the end, he's like, are, are you ready to accept Christ? And I told him, I said exactly this. I said, I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. I just really don't know right now. That's what I told him. So um, probably less than a year went by. And um, I was a supervisor at my job and we hired a guy. And uh, I remember the, the general manager and another guy um, going saying, you know, telling me, hey, you're going to have this guy, you're going to train him, you know, he's going to be on your shift, blah, blah, blah. 
And then they did, they, they, they literally did quotations. There's like, supposedly he's a Christian. That's exactly what they did. And I was like, okay. So this guy would have his Bible out on the, uh, on the table. And, you know, I noticed it, but didn't think anything of it. And me and this other guy who worked there before this gentleman got there would have to get into philosophical, philosophical conversations and about truth and, you know, quantum physics and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was fun to do. And then uh, that guy that I'm talking about that uh, hired that was the Christian and um, had his Bible out, the subject of truth came up. And then I was like, and he, he said, he said something like, well, you know, we can know the truth or something like that. And I, I kind of snickered, but not like angry snickered. I was like, huh, truth. I was like, what is truth? And he on cue, he quoted uh, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. And when he said that it stuck, it kind of hit me. And I was like, I recognize that, you know, that's what I was searching for is truth. You know, what happens when you die? Where do we come from? Stuff like that. And um, I was like, okay, well, this guy, this Jesus guy, you know, my, my, my grandma was a devout Roman Catholic uh, growing up. And she would, Jesus is the reason for the season and tell us that Jesus died for our sins. Me and my brother and cousins as we we're growing up, you know, and I was, we didn't really think anything of it and didn't like start going to church or anything like that. But um, anyways, um, so I kind of knew that in the background, or at least the claim from my uh, my grandmother. But I, I back, uh, back to the point, I was like, well, this guy's saying he has the answers. Like, he's saying he's the truth. And I, and I also recognized, I was like, people don't just say that. And I kind of recognized what uh, C.S. Lewis said, that he's either Lord, lunatic, or he's a liar. And, um, but that just, you know, it was just like they say that that seed started to grow and God was causing it to grow. And so I started looking into Jesus. I started reading, uh, the gospel of John and just in the things that he said, I'm like, those are, they're so lofty. You know, the things he's saying are so high, they're deep. You know, he's saying he has the answers to the afterlife and he's the way and he rose from the dead and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, it's pretty interesting. And so I started listening to uh, Ravi Zacharias, if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, one of his talks, it's actually called Who is Jesus? And he's giving it inside of a Mormon uh, tabernacle. I guess they call it tabernacle. It's just, you know, I could have that wrong. But anyways, um, and he talks about who Jesus is. And that, when he, when I heard that, that's what pretty much... You know, when I was like, okay, well, this guy, that makes sense, that it makes a whole lot of sense, and that's enough for me to believe that, you know, he is who he says he is, and then, so I don't know if I accepted him as a Lord or whatever yet, but right around the time, and then I remember that guy that had the Bible open and quoted the John fourteen six was like, oh, are you ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I was like, I don't know, or, you know. And then he said that, like, he felt the Holy Spirit nudging him, like, back off. I got it. Like, that's exactly what he said. And I was, But he didn't tell me that at the time. He told me that later. And I was like, okay. So eventually I did, you know, I started going to church. Well, we moved to the house I'm in now in 2008. And um, the so I remember the I, I had decided, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this guy a shot. I'm going to assume he's who he said he is, and I'm going to pray 
in his name to, to God and, you know, go from there. And now this is where it's going to get, <laughs> this is where it's going to get interesting the spiritual warfare and all this stuff's going to come in. But, you know, I just got to give you the, 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 the unbridled <laughs> truth. Um, so I, uh, the first time I hit my knees in prayer in my, uh, bedroom immediately get ready. F God, F Jesus, all this stuff started going off in my head. And I was like, uh, what? And the first, you know, your first, uh, reaction is, is that me? That's the first reaction. Is that me? And I didn't, and, and I didn't come up in the church. I didn't come up in the Bible. I mean, I had barely read the gospel of John at this point. That was it. I didn't know theology, anything about demons, you know, Satan, any of that stuff. And I'm just like, whoa. And um, it, I told, and I would, didn't even, wasn't even really trying, but I would tell that guy, because we're still friends, the guy who quoted John 14, 6, and the pastor of my church, because I started going to a church, which we're still good friends now. And I didn't know what else to do. And I called him and I said, like, hey, this is happening. You know, what, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what to do. And um, so I would keep them in touch. And it started getting like real bad, um, like driving me crazy kind of. And I'm just like, oh, what in the world's going on? But at the same time, I'm like getting hungrier and hungrier for truth and God and his word and, you know, stuff like that. And I'm watching as many programs as I can and reading these books and doing stuff like that. And um, so that guy, you know, it got real bad. And plus we worked together and I would tell him, I'm like, man, it's, this is really hard. Like, this is really tough. But I would have day, excuse me, I would have days where, you know, it wasn't really bothering me that much. And, but I was still, I, I, as you would say, I guess, filled with the Holy Spirit and just this happy. So it's like, I was happy on one hand, but then I was having these hard times and stuff. And, um, I'm trying to lost my train of thought for a second. Um, Oh, so now this is where it gets kind of, um, this is, this is, this is what happened. I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened. So he, I guess he had an idea and he had seen, uh, a movie, a portrayal of Martin Luther, and I'm not necessarily condoning or condemning Martin Luther or the Reformation, just so we're clear. Um, and he brought this movie over and he's like, watch this. Well, whoever made it had, um, there was some scenes where, where Martin Luther, you know, the character is praying and he starts going like this and he's like, ah, oh, stop Satan, get out of here, Satan, and, you know, rebuke you and all this kind of stuff. And then I was like, wait a second, that, that's kind of what I'm experiencing. And he was like, yeah, that's why, you know, that's why I brought it over. I wanted you to see that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so that's when I was like thinking, okay, well, that's what it is. Um, and I'm, and I'm growing and stuff, which is what well, the amazing part, because, you know, it, it, it re reminds me of the verses grace. When Paul asked if he could take the, the messenger of Satan away from him, he asked him three times, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you for my powers made perfect in weakness. Well, that's kind of what it was like. And, um, it, you know, God would sustain me, but the, the level kept going up and up and up. I mean, it was, it got bad um so one night i was um 
out fishing somewhere with a friend and um i um just for what i was just like praying or talking to god or something just kind of randomly not in like an official prayer because we were out in this fishing in this area that was away from town way away from town and you'd see all the stars and it was just real pretty you know and so i just was like just randomly just talking to god or whatever and get ready <laughs> all of a sudden i felt like it's hard to explain because it's kind of like a, you can feel the pressure but it's not and it has a little bit of heat to it but it's not like someone it's not the same kind of pressure as like a finger it's, it's hard to explain so i felt something enter my head and when it entered my head now this is the crazy part which i try so hard to, to describe it's just really hard well i can feel my mind go like this this is sounds crazy my mind stretched i don't know how else to explain it, it go whoop and it kind of like i could feel it like go like i could feel it expand and go back like that now when it went back it's like it is normal for you and for me like it, it you can't tell it's there i mean i don't know we, we we can tell our thoughts are in our head you know that's what we can tell right well, I whatever that space is of your mind, and I'm not ex exactly talking about your brain. Um, I felt it stretch and go back like that, and I, it the, went like the movements when it went back. So it stretched, and I could feel that stretching. I, I like to try to say my awareness stretched, but I don't mean that I became more aware of any more knowledge or anything. I just that whatever that field is, I don't know. We're gonna find out eventually, but. That's what happened. And I immediately got sick to my stomach, like immediately got sick to my stomach and told my friend, I was like, oh, man, I feel bad. And, you know, oh, this is weird. And so time went on and, um, you know, I had remember how on the post I talked about like a burning thought or whatever. Well, I had um, something I'd never heard of before. And it was the same type of thing. And it said Belial, Belial. It's, it's uh, mean it actually means worthless one or worthless, and you'll find it at Corinthians or somewhere. Jesus calls, uh, you know, Belial. Well, so I was like, okay, and I looked it up, and I was like, okay. So, um, you know, that happened, and but while that's happening, God is uh, sustaining me, and you know, He's somewhere i'm trying to think it was either the i'm trying to remember i didn't write down the exact date i know it was this is i i mentioned i made those little videos on the thread that i whenever me and you were going back and forth that night um so somewhere along there um i was you know so like i said i was growing right and i was you know praising God and, you know, whatever. So my pastor was like, oh, you know, that's good. You're, you're doing good. And I was learning things and he was like, wow, you know, you're learning things. So he said, he said, hey, do you want to speak on Easter Sunday about the Holy Spirit? And I was like a, like a one year Christian. And I was like, well, I don't know about that. And I was like, in front of everybody, you know, whatever. And so I said, let me pray about it. And so I went in this house, which is now my, we turned it into a room. Well, it was already a room, but it's my, uh, my daughter's, uh, room. 
but it used to not have a window. I'm just, I, I don't know why I said that's beside the fact, but anyways, I went in there and prayed and just said, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, didn't get an answer right away or anything like that. And, um, so I'm at work on good Friday. I try to share with uh, coworkers a little bit and like read about his crucifixion and stuff. And I work in the evening shift, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And so business kind of slows down. You know, it was April. Business kind of slows down around, you know, six or so. So it was kind of dead. And I start just randomly, not, not even really for anything. I was just going to go take a walk. And on the property, it was at the airport, but it was at the private side of the airport. Um, so I'm walking by this hangar and there's an aircraft mechanic and he's listening to a Christian music station. And so I walk by and I start hearing it like, you know, contemporary Christian music and start, you know, listening to it a little bit as I'm walking by and I just get emotional. I just start like tearing and I'm like, what the heck? And, uh, but I, I have the feelings kind of too, you know, not, it's not like it's a purely a physical thing. Like it's just tearing, you know? So I keep walking and I'm like, oh, I got to wipe my eyes and keep my sunglasses on. Cause when I go back up to the, to the main area, um, you know, I don't want anybody to know. So I go back up to the, the front, what we call the front at my former job. And it's facing about 350 degrees because the airport and the facilities, the runways, taxiways are, are all in certain lines. And so, you know, looking straight, straight forward towards the runways was 350 degrees technically. So almost due north. And I just go up there and there's no one outside on the ramp, what they call the ramp at the airport and then there's nothing in front of us but the actual runways so that's that's not the building so i just kind of just randomly just look up in the sky and i see like a silhouette of a face and i'm like right when i see that and it wasn't i couldn't detail it it wasn't it wasn't like a vision to where you see what someone looks like or anything like that but instantaneously as soon as i see that he you know it's it's tough saying it's i've been through all the doubt and self-doubt and all the what if it this and what if that and, all, and i had to, it took me years to get through that and it is tough to say because i don't like talking about myself and saying i'm someone special and all that kind of stuff but i'll talk about that part but um so as soon as i see that he jesus he speaks and i can feel it it's like a it's like a you don't see it like with your eyes as far as like a, a form, you, I don't know how to explain it. Like, you know, it's there. I can feel the shape of it. And it's just like a stream. He spoke and a stream went into my stomach and it radiated through my whole body. And I could, and, and I could hear him like perfectly hear him. And he, he spoke and he said, the first thing he did was address the, the spiritual warfare. He said, I got you. I got you. And it was the most gentle, man's voice i've ever heard in my life I, I would like to say like the perfect because it wasn't like feminine but it was you knew it was gentle but you knew it was a man and i can't and you know what's really really interesting is i cannot duplicate it in my mind i can't replay exactly how it sounds i think that's for a reason um so he said he said i got you i got you then he said there's nothing you can do let me do it through you and then when he stopped speaking, and as he's speaking, I could just feel it entering me in my stomach and just going through my body. And and then he stops and then it disappears because I wasn't even really like focusing on what it looked, you know, 
looked like. Cause like I said, it wasn't about seeing what he looked like, but whenever he stopped, like, man, the, the grass looked, it looked the same, but it just looked like kind of bright and the birds were singing and everything was rich. That's the best way to explain it. Everything was rich. It's like everything was heightened. The senses were heightened and just feeling of peace and all that kind of stuff. And, but I, it was, it was tangible enough to where I could feel it fade off. And eventually after a few certain amount of minutes, it was back to normal, like normal perception, like we are now. And um, so I called that guy and I called the pastor and I was like, guess what happened? Jesus just spoke to me, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm taken back by it because like I said, I don't know any of this stuff and I don't know why it's happening. And like, I'm like, Oh my gosh. And um, you know, I tell them about it and they're just like the pastor, he doesn't know what to think. Cause he's, he's a new pastor. And I don't, you know, a lot of people haven't experienced people saying anything like that have happened. So he hadn't dealt with that and he didn't say, Oh, you're lying or this or anything. He was just like, okay. And then uh, my friend, he was like, oh, that's cool. What did he say? <laughs> and then I told him. But so when I told the pastor, I was like, um, I was like, well, I think I'm going to wait as far as speaking about the Holy Spirit on Sunday. <laughs> and that, that to me was my answer. But, um, you know, when he said, there's nothing you can do, let me do it through you. I took it as, you know, like I'm not ready or wait or whatever. Um, so I didn't. And um, time's going on. The the spiritual warfare is still going on. It's still in a way it's still getting worse. You know, um, it's just like the best way to explain it is, is like, there's, I know it sounds crazy and no, it's not schizophrenia because I looked into that. I'm like, am I schizophrenic? What is this? Oh my gosh. You know, I, I looked into all that. Um, but it's just like another voice in there. That's how, that's the best way to explain it. And um, it got so bad to where one time that I lost, I could not think any longer. This is this is the truth. And I ended up in the bathtub, you know, without any clothes on, without the water on, like zombified. Just I could not form a thought. I could not form a thought. I had, I literally lost my mind. It I couldn't think. Literally couldn't think. So. Somehow I got up. I don't even know how I did. I got up and just went and laid in the bed. And eventually it kind of got better where I could think again. I told, Of course, I would tell my wife all this stuff. Um, I told the pastor about it and we met like a day later and I told him, I was like, oh my gosh, that was, I couldn't think and that was terrible. And he's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. What in the world? You know, stuff like that. And so it's kind of like a pattern. So I would have those really hard times. And then I would have times where God would strengthen me and just like comfort me and stuff. And, uh, you know, one time he, he showed me that the, from here on out, it's going to be like this, it's going to be ups and downs, but the whole line is going up. And then he, he communicated to me that he said, he's not counting the bottoms. He said he's basically sewing, he's cutting out the bottoms and sewing the tops together. Basically, he was saying, that's all I see. Don't worry about the valleys. You know, just keep trusting me and you're going to get, it's going to get hard, then it's going to get good. And I'm not, I'm not holding those, those hard times against you. Um, but I would, being a human, I would kind of 
be like, get all excited. And yes, and oh, great. And no, know that I know that I know that it was him, that it was the Holy Spirit. But I would still go back into those those valleys and have hard times. And, you know, one one time I was like, um, I was praying and I was like, God, why? And I asked him, I was like, well, why do I keep falling back into the uh, the valleys and having getting such a hard time and, you know, feeling like I'm not trusting you and getting into fear and all this kind of stuff. So here's one of those, another one of those moments. So I didn't listen to this song. I didn't, wasn't listening to it, wasn't thinking anything about it or anything like that. And I woke up with a song that's on my phone now because I'm going to keep it. Um, and it was like it was playing like it was playing inside of me I don't know how and like I could feel it in my heart even you know like I could I could feel it in here and it was like a good a good feeling Um, and then it was playing in my head and so I'm like okay well gee let me go look up this song and so I looked it up and, and downloaded it on my phone and listened to it and it was communicating you know what you know what he wanted me to to take from it and it was it's interesting because like not every single word um, applies, so it's like kind of like a training in a way. Like I can't spiritualize every single word. I knew exactly what he was talking about. Not that there was bad words in it, but you just couldn't take all of it as like literal. But the like the the chorus and the main part, it was like exactly what he you know, response to my prayer. Why does, why do I keep having such a hard time? And he was just saying, that's, you know, the song is called to be human after all. I think, I think that's the title of it, but I have it on my phone. Um, and you know, that's just an example. Um, so, um, another time, so I get that down, that really helps me. And so when I'm in the valleys, I'll remember, okay, he said, there's going to be valleys, but there's always going to be an up. And that would, that would keep me sane, you know, because it was, it was really, really hard. And, um, I'm still seeking him and stuff like that. And so, uh, another time later on, um, um, sitting in my living room, watching the program on TV about cults, Christian cults. And they're interviewing this lady who came out of Mormonism and the interviewer asked her, they're like, so how do people, how do people believe such uh, crazy things, you know, like some of the things that the Mormons believe, like how it seems like even for people that don't believe, like we say to ourselves, we would never believe anything crazy like that. And so they asked her that. And then she, she goes, I remember exactly what she said. She said, well, you see, Satan does it real slow. He does it like erosion. That's exactly what she said. And right when she said that the Holy Spirit, because I, we can get into this or whatever, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me audibly but from within inside me not from a person from out of here but i could hear it just like you were talking to me but it was coming from inside of me it wasn't a thought i'm 1000 percent sure it wasn't a thought i could hear him like hear him and he said oh, this is all he said he said see i don't do that and i'm like and i went like this i literally went so he just goes see i don't do that and i went like that picked up the phone called my buddy called the pastor hey this just happened oh wow you know uh... <laughs> so that's 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 when uh he spoke spoke to me audibly so then later like i said i'm going through this up and down i'm in the valley another time a year or two later or something i remember exactly where i'm standing in this house like i can go stand exactly where i'm standing 
and not even, you know, thinking God was going to say anything. I just was getting beat up in my mind. And, um, I just said out loud, I was like, God, what is this about? So I asked him, what is this about? Like the attacks, like, why, what is it about? Well, I, I guess it wasn't really why it was just like, what is this about? And that's when, that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to me audibly externally, like a person standing right beside me, exactly the same, but you can't see him. I mean, that's exactly what it was like. And he, he just addressed, he told me, you know, this isn't, this doesn't apply to everybody. He told me the weaknesses that the, you know, the, the spiritual warfare, the spiritual entities are actually working on as far as me, my personality. He told me what they were working on. And he said, he said, it's about trusting in the Lord with all of your heart and leaning not on your own understanding and fear. That's exactly what he said. And so from then on, I'm like, when I would recognize, because the way how the lady said erosion, well, it's the same thing with me. That's how I get down into those valleys over time. It's like, he's so, so smart and such a psychologist that, um, you know, over time, you know, you think that they're your thoughts and then you kind of give in to them. But he's not going to put extreme ones because, at first because you're going to you're going to like, oh, wait, that's not me, which I know a lot of Christians have, you know, some crazy random thought will come in and you'll be like, oh, that's not for me. But anyway, so um, when I would start getting beat down, I would remember and I would say and I would repeat that it's about trusting the Lord with all of your heart, leaning not on your own understanding and fear. And I would realize that what was actually weakening me to go down was not, you know, uh, trying to understand like um answers to some of these thoughts that they would you know i know it sounds crazy that they would put in and then just the fear of it like you know like an evil thought like oh i didn't think that well what if it was me and all this other kind of stuff and then you start getting into fear you know and then you you get you get weak and next thing you know you're you're having a hard time so that helped um those you know i had actual um just actual uh vision you know not anything of like a future thing or anything like that i had i had one where um i was just standing before before jesus he had a white robe on i couldn't see the detail of his face it was intentionally it's not it was like it was weird it's like it wasn't blurry but i couldn't see it i don't know how to explain it but i knew it was him and he put his hand on my head and this was like a vision that was in front of me i think they call it an open vision because i've had to study all this stuff and um, he touched me on the head. And when he touched me on the head, I actually felt it didn't happen. I felt like I went down to the ground and I felt like a blob of skin with no bone in it. I, I fell down to the ground in a blob. And then he took his hand and he raised me up. And then I stood up and was standing normal. But in, in real life, my body, it felt like I had been sobbing and crying. And after, after if, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, after you cry a whole lot you'll have this like wash kind of feeling through your body well that's that's how it felt after he raised me up and then then we were fought we me and a bunch of people were just kind of like following him in a v and he was in the front and we were just following him and going forward you know whatever it wasn't like any specific place so you know all these bunch of supernatural experiences and i'm just like it's kind of like a ride because i'm like just holding on <laughs> and i actually had a, a a dream like that, you know, basically saying, yeah, you, you just got to hold on, you know, whatever. 
so I'm trying to not make it take forever. But so these things are happening and like I'm reading the Bible and I'm learning and, you know, trying to learn about Satan and how he works and all this other kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a ride. And so so eventually over time, you know, we take the spiritual gift test at my church and I'm, I'm careful that this is difficult to say it right now. I mean, it's going to be up to you if you want to publish it because it's it's pretty out there. I admit it. I've been through all the fear and self-doubt you know all that stuff and it's just talking about myself which is not fun um but we did a spiritual gift test and they're like i guess one of them had faith as a spiritual gift and then you know the people were like oh yeah that was my strength we were like oh yeah you you know we see that in you blah blah blah. so i was like okay cool that's why i'm seeing that's why these supernatural things are happening to me because i have more faith but i didn't like or at least I didn't feel like I was being prideful about it because I wouldn't sit there and think, oh, I've got more faith in you. Oh, I've got more faith in you. And plus, I'm still normal like everyone else. I have to learn, you know, there's things that I don't know. You know, I, it, it, I'm going to explain it, but, you yeah, know, I don't know. It's not something more. you asked for. <laughs> huh? It's not something you asked for. Exactly. Right. But I wasn't mad at it. But anyway, so that's what I was thinking for a while. So I'm going to do one interjection of one more dream of, of a dream that happened. This is pivotal. This is very deep. And I hope it, it, it helps somebody out there. I know it has helped other people. And so as I'm wrestling with this, um, you know, the, the spiritual warfare and just getting beat down at times and stuff, God gives me a dream. And I think I, I mentioned this. Well, in this dream, I know it's the Satan, the adversary, whatever, and he's chasing me, and I can feel him. Like I can, I can literally feel the anger and the hate, and you can just feel it. And he's chasing me, and I'm running and running and running and running in the dream, and running and running, trying to evade him. I didn't have like this, oh my gosh, kind of fear. And I'm running and running, and like the dream even has to where I feel the like the labored, tired but like a spiritual kind of tired because you don't really feel the tiredness of your body, but I can feel like I'm getting worn out and I'm like, Oh, he's just, ch it's, it's relentless. He's chasing me, chasing me, chasing me. So eventually at the end of the dream, he catches up to me and he, he grabs me and he, he, he looks at, he, it's like I'm witnessing it and he looks at me in my face and it's like building up and I'm about to see his face and it's my face. It's my face. And I was like, whoa. So then, you know, when I woke up and started thinking about it, um, you know, God didn't speak audibly or anything like that. But he showed me that that's all he has. That's what he's trying to do. So obviously God let him, you know, whether it's him or whatever spirit or spirits or whatever that have messing with me, he's let them do that. And he's, he showed me that. All Satan, our enemy, has against us is ourselves. Now, that begs the question, well, how can he do that? Only if you let him. Only if you let him. Well, who's, who's supposed to be in control of yourself? You are. I mean, it's not like he made me. I wasn't possessed. I didn't do, he didn't make me do things or anything like that. Because like they say, you know, that a, a believer is not going to be possessed in that regard, whatever. Um, but that was like deep down to the, into my psyche. And so what, what do you, what is happening is 
this is the process of actually what was happening. And so he is allowed, the enemy is allowed to inject thoughts into my mind. And as we're supposed to do anyways, is, you know, taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, we're supposed to take these thoughts and reject them, you know? I mean, it's the same thing as if you have a temptation thought, you know, you reject it. And you say, that's not, the, the key is you say, that's not me. It doesn't matter if it's from your flesh, as the Bible calls. It doesn't matter if it is uh, a satanic force that puts it. The fact is, is that you reject it. And you just say, that's not who I am. Because that's what this, this whole thing is about. is identity, our identity in Christ, you know, we're not, we don't, we're not of Satan anymore, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's what he was doing. And so over time, like I was talking about the erosion thing, he would, he would inject thoughts and you don't, you start losing track because they're subtle. You start losing track of what's you and what's not you. So before you know it, you're, you, you, you because of fear or whatever, I believe that it was me, certain thoughts are me. And then it just goes in the process and next thing you know, I'm like, like I was saying, I'm in, in one of those valleys. So it was like, God was saying, you know, he really doesn't have anything against us. And this goes into the whole, you know, this can go into some of the uh, soteriology arguments and things like that. You know, we, he, he really doesn't have anything against us. And, and so what this, this the only thing it has against you yourself is, is your fears and your insecurities. And you got to transfer those. You got to not look into yourself because we can look into our psyches. We can look into our weaknesses. We can look into where we've fallen short, what we consider ourselves flawed. And if we focus on that, we will start acting like that. But if we focus on, on Jesus and think about him and reject those thoughts, then we won't go down that road. And so that's what this, the whole thing was like a, like a training thing for that. Plus it was, you know, to build faith and whatever and all that kind of stuff. And somebody, somebody caught on to this. This is actually, in my opinion, this is brilliant. Somebody did a show of the, a movie and I've tried to find it. I, I was able to find it. I didn't write the title down and it's the last supper. Well, in the, uh, in the scriptures, uh, they talk about the last supper. Well, Jesus says, if you remember, Jesus says, one of you, first he says, one of you is going to betray me, right? Well, the person who made this movie was brilliant because they, they made the scene of the disciples at the Last Supper, and they showed what, what, in their opinion, what happened when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And in the Gospels, one of, I forgot who it was, says, well, surely it is not I, right? Well, in this movie, it goes to each disciple and shows them go into their own insecurities and fear when he says that. So Jesus says that, and then that causes them to invert each of the disciples and they look into themselves. So it shows uh, like a disciple's mind and he's thinking, well, you know, I have been a coward and I have done this and I've done that. And then he starts getting afraid. And then he starts, he starts, one of the disciples, you know, John or whoever starts believing that it's him. But then he comes to his senses and then finally he's, you know, he realizes he's like, okay, I got to stand up against my insecurities and my failures and, you know, believe and no, I've got to know that it's not me. And plus it wasn't right. So they had basically when Jesus said that it turned them all inside out and they had to deal with their insecurities 
and their fears and their their sins, you know, whatever stuff like that. But when he did that, it turned Judas inside out. And then and then that's and then it says, you know, Satan entered into him and they, it was just brilliant. But the, the point is, is that they had to deal with that. They had to deal with their insecurities and their fears and like stop and, and stop letting themselves hinder themselves. If you see what I'm saying? Right. And that goes back. Yeah. And that goes back to that. The only thing he has against you is yourself, because really he has nothing. If you're in Christ, he has and you're walking in faith and obedience. He has nothing. That, that, that seems that. that seems to be a thing that you only can get demon possessed if you invite him in. Like the old vampire thing, you get you got to invite him in. You got to let him in. And if you're resistant, if you don't exactly want it. I don't. I don't think you could get demon possessed. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like that. No, you're right. And so, and I had to wrestle with all that. And I'm like, well, how do they have access to my mind? Well, I realized, and God showed me through this process that they're messing with your mind, but they're not in your heart where I am. And that's how I survive. That's why it has those. You know, I never stay there. And and it's like when when I and I can tell when God lifts me out of those valleys i mean it's glorious it feels great and nothing has changed i actually feel better i feel terrible in the valley but when I come up to the next uh hill i feel better and i'm just confident and just you know and i and basically like like he said it's it's going like this it's going even though it has the ups and downs it's still going up and he's still you know growing us and strengthening us into his character and you know all that kind of stuff so, and that's what, like what you're saying. So it's not, it's like he's turning, he's taking what Satan intends for evil. He's protecting us, number one. And he's, he's taking what uh, Satan's intending for evil and what feels very terrible to us and God's turning it into good. And that's what he was saying, how he's like, I'm sewing the tops together and the bottoms are falling out. I don't even care. I'm not holding the valley, you know, the valley's against you or whatever. So that was a big lesson in like, don't go in. And then my oldest daughter, who's who's really strong in her faith, she had a hard time with the same thing. And I was able to help her about, look, we, we can't go into our, our broken selves. It's going to be miserable. And if you, you dwell on it long enough and you have fear about who you are, you know, by yourself, you're going to, it's, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, it, and I, and, and, and I even, I even for a while, it's in, interesting what you're saying about the possession. I thought it was because I did something wrong. I thought it was punishment. And God had to remind me a few times, you know, that this isn't punishment. And mm -hmm. there's a difference between discipline and punishment. So, you know, and it, it, it's not, it's not punishment. Um, so eventually, so all, a lot of this stuff was happening. This is all taking place. And, um, it's it's going to take it's going to take me to the Calvinism thing, and it's going to take me here. So I'll try to try to speed it up. So in December of um, December of 2015, you know, the, the, see, like I, I recognize that this could be scrutinized. What I'm about to say, because people could say, "Oh, well, wasn't it?" Because, but I'm like hungry for stuff. So I'm there's a there's a mainstream movie called Jeremiah, and it's the guy from um, I forgot his name. He's a mainstream actor, but he plays Jeremiah. But it's it's pretty good, well done, and I'm 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 watching that movie and you know because I I it to me it's like at this point you know I've pretty much abandoned the world for the most part yeah 
you know, like the things I watch and stuff like that. And I'm plus I'm hungry and trying to learn and stuff like that. But anyway, so I'm watching, I, I watch movies like that and I'm watching Je- Jeremiah and, and, and I had sensed it before. And when he starts to prophesy on the movie, like I can feel, I'm not prophesying, but I can feel like this burning kind of, or whatever in my, in my stomach. Not really. Okay. I shouldn't say a burning, but it's, it's hard to explain. And I realize that's where it's coming from. So it's like God is showing me when he's Jeremiah is prophesying that like some, for some reason, God's associating it with like the stomach, like your inner, whatever. I don't know. So I watched that movie. And then after that, December, this is December of 2015. Um, you know, finally God um, through the, through the Holy spirit, not through audible voice, but through, cause I'm very familiar, you know, not, not to brag, but I could, I could help people. I believe me, I've spent years discerning. If you think about it, discerning between my own thoughts, the flesh, which, you know, what's me, what's the enemy and what's God. I've had to sit there and literally live through that. So I've gotten some, I, what I feel is some knowledge on how to, you know, basically how to recognize you know, the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. What's the difference between your own thoughts? And the reason I'm saying this is because I was going to say it was an impression because an impression is very subtle and they're kind of hard to tell from your own thoughts. You can get tripped up and be like, wait, was that me or was that, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah. So, um, but anyways, but it was, it was, it was an impression, but it was more, it was like real clear, but it wasn't audible. So I, um, all of a sudden, I, um, oh, this is the hardest part of this whole talk for me. And I, and I'm trying to say that I'm scared, but I don't, I mean, I know it's not in a cowardly way. It's like, I know, you know, people would scrutinize it or whatever. And th- this is where we really get into doctrine and stuff. But, and I call it the P word because I do not, you will never see me. I have a YouTube channel. It's real small. I never call myself this. I have never listed it as a title. I don't go around. I, I don't, you know, I don't have a ministry or whatever, but it was the P word. He said, I've called you as a, the P word, a prophet. I'm just going to put it out there at this point. I, I can't be afraid of what people are going to think or whatever, you know, anyways. So, okay. So he said that and I'm like, and then he, I, this, this is where I tasted, like I could feel it in my entire body his holiness i felt it i tasted it i felt it i mean it is it's beyond what your what a feeling that you could get from your own thought is and plus i've already been having all kinds of stuff like this happen um there's stuff i didn't say about how where you know god came upon me and i wept profusely and could not stand and i felt him in the center of my bones and i couldn't stand I literally fell on the ground because I couldn't stand. And that one was like, I felt his love and it was just so like, I don't know. How to, it was just amazing. So, you know, all that to say that, you know, I, 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 I know it's not like it's a mystery. I know what I'm experiencing when I say I tasted, well, I felt his holiness and then he, he revealed it to me and not words, but almost like a knowing and feeling tasting, which I keep saying, that his judgment comes from his holiness, his judgment. And I tasted that after he had said the, the P word thing. And so 
I'm like, okay, well, um, I guess he's saying he's, you know, this is where I really put myself out there. Now, I'm not saying I have dates. I don't know what it is. I've even wrestled back and forth. Oh, well, maybe it's not in my lifetime, but I think it is, but he hasn't said for sure. But he's called me as that because of coming judgment. Um, and also at that time, he showed me that that's why he did all the supernatural things to me because of the calling, not because I had more faith than anybody else. So it has more to do with, so it evens, you know, it's, it, it's not, it's not because I have more faith than anybody else. It's because of him and the calling that he has put on my life and he's doing it for that reason. So it's not like a reward. Oh, well, you have stronger faith than everybody else. So I'm going to give you all these supernatural visions and whatever, and you know, stuff like that. Um, and that's the experience I had. So that changed. And I said in 2000, December of 15. And so January of 16, I said, okay, well, if to God, I said, well, if that's what you've done, then how do I do? I don't even know how to do that. What is that? What does that look like today? What, what is it? You know, what do I do? Put me in line with somebody that knows. Well, that night got an email from, um, my sister-in-law's. So yeah, my sister-in-law's husband's parents who have have a have a ministry a teaching ministry where they go around and they they and they have an online thing where they show people how to um you know find out their calling and their spiritual gifts and things like that and they adhere to and i do and my pastor does because of the stuff that happened to the ephesians 4 um apostles prophets evangelists shepherds teachers and I'm going to make a video about that. If anybody, I know some people have a problem with that and cessationism and stuff like that. But the first thing to say is it's not, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. If you read it in context, you read it the way it's supposed to, you can tell it's, it's from that point, it's a future thing. And the number, well, actually the most important thing is it's not the magnitude or of, um, of the apostles, obviously the 12 apostles and the OT prophets. It, it, it's not like that. And besides, this is the scary part is the Deuteronomy test thing of if a, if a person says they're prophesying and it doesn't come true, that's still. But so let me let me go into this real quick is it's more of a teaching thing. Uh, the, the, the New Testament uh, apostles, prophets, well, particularly the prophet thing is more, it's more actually teaching. It's very little. It's teaching on the whole counsel of God, which doesn't automatically mean you know the whole counsel of God. It means you have to study just like everyone else, you know, whatever. Um, and it's very little of the prophesying. And I'm talking about future events. I'm not talking about it. And, and actually prophesying is, is, it's like where you share God's thoughts and obviously you check it but it's not like a thus says the Lord, this, you, you can't go doing that. But um, it's, um, you know, it's like words of encouragement. Like the, the gift of prophecy is like encouraging and teaching. And let me see if I can bring it up. It's in Peter. It's in either first or second Peter. And he says, just as there was false prophets. Okay. So then he changes it and he says, so there will be false teachers. So why does he change it from prophets? Just as there were false prophets. And he says that there's going to be false teachers and he changes it. 
um, because it's actually more a, a New Testament prof, prophet and as, as like an actual calling is, is much more to do with teaching than it is uh, the prophesying. And then uh, it said in, I think it's Hebrews 1, it says the law and the prophets were until John. Now it says that because the scriptures are closed. So under no circumstance will anybody claiming to be, you know, prophet is going to say anything contradictory to, strict, to scripture, anything extra, requalify, anything like that. Because the law and the prophets were until John. Because it's not the same as the OT. So that's... Um, um, just want to talk about that real quick. So how that comes forward, um, and get my train of thought back, what I was going to say. Okay, so since I mentioned the prophesying future events, I might as well. And this is, you know, putting myself out there because, and I, I'm welcoming it. If you, just, if, if, if you, which I agree, decide to publish this because it's got a lot of out there stuff, that's fine with me. And I'm, I'll be ready for, if it, if it happens, if anybody says, what about this, what about this, what about that? Not that it's about me, not that I want it to be about me. I mean, it's just the claims I'm making. So, you know, let it, let it, let it, let it happen about what I'm about to say. So in 2008, I was in Austin. I was at a church in Austin because we were, we were at my sister-in-law's house, the same one I was talking about earlier. And we just, we went to church and I'm in the church. And then all of a sudden I have what I call an, an open vision. So basically the way to explain a vision is it's like a very, very vivid imagine, imagining something in your mind, but it's out here. That's the best way to explain it. You see it. It's like you see something in your mind, but it's actually out of your, you know, it sounds weird. It's out of your head. And so randomly I just, saw this like spot this clouds and i'm looking down at these white cumulus clouds just boiling uh you know boiling and i'm like and i told my wife i'm like uh because it it's enough to it, it makes you stop and like it's not a thought it's it's not a thought and you're like okay so i'm like okay um noted really uh, that's what it comes down noted so then we come home and about a week later i'm sitting on the couch or on my, my rocking chair. And I, all of a sudden, when you like, okay, so if you if you close your eyes while you're awake, you know, you can kind of, you see that the red and whatever behind your eyelids, you know, the, you, it's dark, like you're seeing, you know what I mean? Like you're not, your vision isn't blocked out. But like, especially if you look at a light with your eyes closed, you can see the light coming through your eyelids. Well, when I close my eyes, I know this sounds crazy. These numbers, crystal clear numbers, but they weren't on my eyelids. It's just for some reason it was when I closed my eyes. I had another experience like this later. But it was it was like in my mind, but it looked like, I don't know how to explain it. But little crystal clear numbers like floated by. And I'm like, oh. and then the word Lord. And I'm like, okay. Told my wife, my oldest daughter about it. I'm like, oh, told the other people. I'm like, oh, this just happened. I don't have a clue what it means. No big deal. Well, Hurricane Hurricane um, Ike comes in, and I'm out. We 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 had to evacuate him. We went to my uncle's house, and then me and him were talking about it. And um, 
I start saying, Hey, I start saying, just, I start saying, Hey, it's this category. What's going to happen is it's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to, it's going to downgrade just to a high. It's not going to get any stronger than that. And start saying this stuff. And he's like, Oh, wow. How did you know that? And just like, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and so I was calling it out and he said, he said to my dad, he's like, Oh, how does he know this stuff? He's like, Oh, and he just, you know, he was impressed or whatever. And I, I wasn't trying that. I just, cause what's, what's coincidentally is I was very into, and I'm still very into uh, the weather. And so I, I knew about it, but I was saying it's going to do this and it's going to not get stronger than this and that and all this stuff. And it's, it's not anything that the weatherman said and stuff like that. And I was right. And so then I, then I remembered, I was like, okay, that's what, he, that's what he was saying with the number. That's what that cloud thing was. Okay. So it's like a learning, it's like, a, it's like a learning process because it doesn't have a date. It doesn't give you a date and it doesn't say, go tell everybody this is about to happen. That's not how it's worked for me so far. Um, but that was what the numbers Lord was, was that he's he's given me the ability to say, predict what it's going to do and stuff like that, which I did. You can call my uncle and he's, we don't hang out a lot. So it's not, anyways, I doubt anybody's going to do that. But so that happened. And I'm like, okay. And I still kind of was like, didn't think a big deal about it. I would change my mind about it over time. Like, Oh, well, what if it meant this? And what if it meant that? Didn't think a big thing of it. Okay. So then 2017, this is the second, the second one. This one was a little bit more, more detailed. Um, early August, I guess it was around early August or late July. Um, I have another vision like that and I see the same thing. Now, this is where it starts to make it more clear to me because I'm learning this stuff, you know, like I don't know how to, you know, what it looks like to actually, I hate to say the P word or whatever, but um, so I see the same thing of the clouds and the spiraling, like looking down, like you're looking down from space and they have black inside of them this time. And I immediately in my mind, I know my brain, I notice it's different. This has black in them. And I, and I had, and remember, so in 15, that, that the, the first hurricane thing happened before 2015, right? So I was like kind of lost about it. So then I was like, okay, if that's what you've, you know, at 15, like I said, I was like, okay, let me go with it as humble as whatever as I can and assume, but not try to make anything happen, not go around telling people, like I said, you would never know that in this, if I didn't tell you that I will be proud of myself about us, so, you know? Um, so, you know, on December 15, I decided to go with it. Okay. Well, okay. Then that's what it is. That's what I'm called for or whatever. So this time, when 17 in uh, summer of 2017, when I see it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay attention to it this time. That's it's a, it's a vision of something. It's, 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 it's a prophecy or whatever. And I say, so, and I had been reading up on all reading up on is prophecy still today, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, re, you know, trying to figure out, trying to search through the fake stuff, the real stuff, who's lying, who's, just trying to get money, you know, as we know, that's a huge thing in our country and so many people saying all that stuff. So I knew the black was significant and I said, okay, this one has black in it. It's different. Right. And, but I didn't get a date. I didn't get anything like that. And, um, so I call my buddy, the one that brought me to Christ, I call him and I tell him and I said, Hey, and I just go ahead and say it. Cause you know, I've been dealing with fear all this time and, fear of being wrong and feel of fear of 
falsely saying something, you know, all that stuff. I've been literally wrestling through that fear of, oh, I don't want to be like a false prophet. And what if I'm like Joseph Smith and what if, uh, you know, all that stuff I've been wrestling with. So, but at this time I said, okay, well, let me call my buddy. I'm not going to sit there and go on Facebook and tell everybody, oh, this is about to happen. And I say, hey, we're, and I said, I said, we're going to have a hurricane. And it means, and it means here where I live, that's all it means. It's a regional. That's what, that's what the guy who was coaching me said. He said, you know, that's what, what you're showing. And because of the repetition for right now, God is only showing you what's relative to where you're at. He hasn't given you like prophecies for, you know, the United States or this or that or anything like that. So I, um, call him and then I let the pastor know and I tell my family I, I say it I say we're gonna have a hurricane I said I don't know the date I don't I didn't get any of that that's all I know and I said there was black in it so I think it's gonna be pretty bad and this is funny so like two weeks later <laughs> uh like a hurricane spins up in the Gulf of Mexico and I'm watching I'm like oh there it is and it misses us and I kind of crash I'm like oh no I was wrong. I'm a false per I'm false. I lied. Oh my gosh. And start condemning myself and all this kind of stuff. And I called my buddy and I'm like, Oh man, I'm scared. Like, Oh, it didn't happen. He's like, Hey, well just, it's not over yet. And the next one was hurricane Harvey. And so the black, the black was, it was going to be ex extra ominous and very, very abnormally destructive. Like it was, and it broke records and just was devastating. And so after that, I was like, okay, well, there we go. And that's it. You know, that's, I had one other thing about flooding that happened here and it flooded and I'm standing out there like this deep above waist deep in the water in the cul-de-sac right here where I live. And I had a thing about that, but that's, that's about it. And I mean, you know, as far as the prophecy stuff goes, I'm almost done. Okay. So then I'm starting to, I always had a, problem with Calvinism and especially the just the idea that God was uh ran, you just hardens people's hearts at you know randomly for no reason and chooses them for condemnation before you know uh before they're born and and I would always get hung up on the the Romans 9 you know but you know one time you know God shared with me he just gave me you know not said audibly but he's like that's that's not me like the thought that, you know, he's hardening people's hearts to destroy them for his glory and all that stuff. He's like, that's not me, you know? So I was like, but I still couldn't, I didn't have the proper interpretation. So the, 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 the wrong one would still try to pop up in my mind. You know, the one that you wrestle with, that people wrestle with. But finally we, we get the right interpretation and the context and, you know, all that kind of stuff and go to the right places and look at the right teachers and, Plus the Holy Spirit confirms in you that it's true, that it's true, you know, that that's not him. But so I'm, I, I just, I kind of have a problem with it. So I, I start to develop this, you know, disdain for not Calvinists, but Calvinism. So I start watching this guy. He's like a, uh, a street preacher guy. And he has this one video. He, he's uh, debating with these college, these college kids. Well, okay, so let me backtrack a little bit. It's still the same, the same guy. He, this thing, he goes to these college campuses, and he starts just preaching the gospel, and he preaches the whole part. Well, 
okay, not just the four gospels. He preaches that repentance is absolutely necessary, that you can't continue on in willful sin, but he, he uses only the scriptures, you know, all kinds of stuff. He's like, <clears throat> you know, the Lord's, the Lord knows who are his, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And he's basically calling people out, you know, at these in, in the right way. But what you keep hearing is these people keep coming up with these, these excuses because they, it's clear they're still practicing fornication, partying, doing all this kind of stuff, but they're, they think that they're Christians. And like, this is like an epidemic on these college campuses and they keep bringing it up. And then when he starts to tell them, like, basically he starts to attack that once saved, always saved indirectly, he's attacking once saved, always saved. He's attacking, um, that, you know, God won't change his mind. You know, once you're, you're justified, you can't be unjustified, um, that you can, that, Oh, you can just, you know, basically continue on in sin. Um, that, you know, that the total depravity, he indirectly is addressing total depravity because these, these kids are thinking they're literally telling him, well, you know, we're never going to stop sinning. Well, yeah. Uh, which that I forgot that, that, uh, sinless perfection or whatever. Yeah. That's, He's not talking about that. He's just saying, like, you you, you have to be putting your practices of sin behind. You have to be in that process. You can't keep doing stuff like partying and fornication and trying to fit in with the world and all this kind of stuff and think that you're, you're good. He's like, you can't do that. And so I, I, I'm watching a whole bunch of them, and I'm not hanging my hat on this guy. I'm just watching it. And so he gets to – there's this one I watch, and he starts – these kids start bringing up this Calvinism stuff. And um, then I start to, uh, and I'm, I'm learning about it, and I start to see how a lot of this stuff is like intertwined into, you know, the tulip and all that stuff. And, this, and so, you know, with God showing me, I come to this conclusion, I'm like, uh, you know, that basically Calvinism from the time, as far as the irresistible grace, the once saved, always saved, you know, perseverance of the saints, all that stuff, I'm like, that's actually damaging. You know, the Bible talks about that. It says that, you know, in the latter times, people are going to fall away from the faith, giving heeds to spirits of demons and stuff. Uh, another part, he talks about um, they're going to uh, heap up for themselves false teachers to suit their itching ears. <clears throat> and I say, okay, so you got, you got, and, and, and plus it says, unless the, the apostasy comes first, the falling away comes first, then finally the Antichrist comes. So, you know, basically, there's going to be a falling away. And you take those other two passages I talked about, some apart from the faith, you know, the heaping up for themselves false teachers. It, it, that's what's going to happen. It's what's happening in America now. Um, but you, you take these people who, even though they probably don't have the right intentions and they are have a, have a wrong heart in thinking that, you know, I can keep doing the things that I want. Yeah, they're still accountable for that. But guess what happens when you have churches that are telling people, Hey, you know, you're going to persevere no matter what you're saved. No matter what God will never change his mind. He'll never take it back. You're you're, you have such a bad sin nature and totally depraved that you can't overcome certain sins, but Oh, but there's forgiveness. I mean, you, you, you tell a bunch of people like that, what's it going to do? It's going to, it's going to like enable them, you know? And so, that's that's what in in my opinion i would I think that it's more than opinion is what 
is some of the destructiveness of Calvinism. And besides the fact that it, you know, if you take it to its full logical conclusion, it it literally blasphemes God. It, it literally blasphemes God. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. Now, my pastor, he went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And a lot of these uh, seminaries and stuff like God, you know, I say God showed me or whatever, but it's like a spider web. And it's like when people are coming up new in the faith, unfortunately, it's like this sticky web you have to get your way through because it's, it's being taught. It's so widespread in the body of Christ. And like I was saying earlier, you better believe that it's going to be very uh, adhered to in a generation where people are falling away and thinking that they can just, you know, basically be a Christian and do whatever they want. But certain elements of it, you know, like there's people that aren't Calvinists, for example, that believe, and if you do, I'm not attacking you personally or anybody, but, you know, once saved, always saved and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it, but you can see where it causes them certain things in their theology to be incoherent because they don't, they don't, they don't cohere with others, with other scriptures. And, and, you know, so they, they, here, here, let me try to think of an example. It's like the, um, my sheep hear my voice and, you know, and I never, you know, let me never, never shall they perish. Well, so like we were having a discussion. He's like, Oh, well, it says never shall they perish. So that's it. Okay. So I'm like, okay, well, all the scriptures over here that warn and clearly show that you can turn back and that, you know, what can happen to you if you continue in sin and all this kind of stuff, how do those go together? If you can, you know, if you can never perish, you know, in that, you know, that's the perseverance of the saints, you know, how, how do those go together? Well, basically the point I'm trying to make is, 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 it, it actually gets people to put, literally put scripture against scripture. It's like, so like you can go on Calvinist groups and I, I've done it before <laughs> and sadly on purpose. And you can just put a scripture, just put a scripture. And it's like what it, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and, joint and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, you just put a scripture and that says that, oh, okay, here's a perfect example. God is not willing that any man perish, but that all be saved, come to the knowledge of truth. Or there's two of them like that. Just put one of those on a Calvinist. Oh, but they're going to, oh, but no. Oh, but that doesn't mean that. And it's like, okay, do you realize that I didn't, so I didn't put an interpretation. <laughs> I literally just put the word and it's judging you. It's, it's literally causing you to disagree with it. I mean, I understand certain things need interpretation, but I didn't put an interpretation on it. And so that's that's what I mean. It's like these they well, have script well, granted, against each other. Granted, they they could kind of read into your intent, and you kind of admitted to your intent, and so right. they're they're not totally baseless in their response. But I I like to do a thing where where I have these memes with uh, Calvin with the little uh, social justice warrior glasses with like white eyes and with like a big triggered thing, yeah. and so I'll take. Uh, Verses like the lawyers resisted the will of God for themselves that yeah, they'd be yeah, baptized. Yeah. And so I'd like highlight that and then post Calvin triggered, <laughs> triggering, right. triggering with the Bible verses. Sorry about that. Okay. So open theism. So open theism, 
Uh, you came to the Open Theist page to talk, it seems to me, about prophecy, because in your own life, you've experienced situations in which you could see, perhaps, things that will happen in the future, and those yeah. things have materialized in your experience. We see this happening throughout the Bible. We see prophets saying something's going to happen, and then that, that thing happens. Right. Uh, there, there seems to be some sort of connection uh, between uh, what people experience and those events materializing in the future. Right, right. Okay. I heard everything you said. I heard All right. Sorry. So in open theism, um, you came to the page looking for perhaps various models of dealing with these facts, these facts that uh, most open theists, that they're going to agree that the future can be knowable in in those circumstances. The future can generally be knowable, is my argument. I, I know right, what I'm right. going to do today. I, we, we set up this phone call. We set up the time and date and place. And guess what? My knowledge of that future did materialize, but, but which is a little bit different than a different knowledge of the future in which maybe you have a connection to the divine world. Maybe... Uh, I've talked to plenty of people in my life who who've stated things like, you know, they have they have dreams about the future. They have a dream mm -hmm. that someone's going to say something, it's, it, and then it's going to materialize. If you ever saw that movie where where that guy got his arm trapped, he's he's out uh, yeah. spelunking through yep. the caverns. He yep. gets his arms trapped, and he's... he has to cut off his own arm. He yep. had all sorts of hallucinations during. It's based on a true story, so it's, yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah, I saw it. Oh yeah, I remember it, that. It's not a fictional story, but if you look at how what that guy recounts, he recounts having visions of meeting his future wife in certain circumstances. And the kids, too, the, the daughter or whatever. Yeah, so he has all these experiences, and those experiences materialize in his own life. And I've met people with the same claim. Um, I seem to, maybe once or twice a year, encounter some sort of uh, deja vu situation where you're maybe in a mundane setting, you're in an office or something, and you just, you pause and you look around, and you're like, I think I've had this experience before. I think yeah. maybe, maybe in a dream. I don't know if my mind's playing tricks on me. Maybe, maybe I experience the, it, it, it feels almost like there's a precognition of the events that are going to occur that, that we experience and people have experienced. And there's a lot of testimony to this fact. I'm not going to deny the testimony. I'm not going to say that these people are wrong or, or they right. had a false dream or something, but there does seem to be some sort of connection to the divine world in which people can precognate or precognize. I don't know if I'm saying the right word here, things that do actually occur. Right. And so uh, models of open theism to deal with this, uh, I'm sure uh, I, I admit that these types of things happen and I'm open theist. So it, so apparently it works in some, some sort of sense. But it, it I, I would in my mind a separate a precognition of an event with that event being fated to happen. Right. And so you yourself, from our previous conversation that we had, uh, you you seem to hold some sort of view, some sort of model of open theism, where God can do new things. God can change. God can react. God can, in, in what you described to me today, engage in spiritual warfare, which 
which is uh, counterintuitive to classical depictions of who God is and how God operates, where God's fighting these demonic forces that not necessarily always can be controlled, which are fighting against God's plan. God is in a real spiritual struggle. Is that... Wait, is that uh, God? Uh, yeah, I mean, but I think that, uh, I'm, and this may be the same thing, but I think that, you know, it's he's still in control, but... Right. But, but yeah, there is, yeah, there, I mean, you're right. There is, a, there are, no, actually, you're right, because that's, this is, this is, this is interesting how it, how it's so connected to even Calvinism and all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to try to take this long trail, but basically, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to say it, but Satan does gain, Satan does get people and God doesn't, and God would rather have got those people than Satan. So in that way, yes, there is a struggle, but yeah. at the same time, he's in control. And, you know, that that's because to me, you know, one of the roots of that is the free will and that, you know, love and that he's not going to, it has to be a real choice of ours. Right. If so it's not, if it's not, then, you know. Yeah, so I pulled up uh, this this passage here in Daniel 10. This is uh, Daniel, and he encounters an angel. And he mm -hmm. said to me, Do not fear Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Yeah, God's listening to prayer. And right. I have come because of your words. And so Daniel's prayer was effective. It was effectual. As opposed to people say, oh, prayer only changes us. Prayer doesn't change God. Well, that's not true. Uh, prayer affects God. God listens to our prayer and responds. Exactly. Uh, 13 is actually where we get into the interesting spiritual warfare going on. It's uh, Daniel it 10, 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, prince is a princely title that uh, Satan is the prince of this world. There's a prince of the right, air. There's right. principalities. Uh, it's a divine term. He's but a regional guy. It's a re regional deity, I would say. Yep. But the prince of their kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So there's there's multiple angels uh, involved in some sort of divine warfare, divine conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Here is divine warfare going on. Spiritual beings fighting each other, which causes causes actually in this particular instance a delay in prayer. So the prayer is heard in a timely fashion, but the response to the prayer is delayed due to this divine fighting that we're not privy to. Right. I agree. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think it has it's, a lot of implications, but they're, I, you and I, I think, believe that they're good, but it has a lot of implications. So that we, yeah. we, you and I believe that those implications are good. Like we're, we don't have a problem with them. Right. Absolutely. So what, what it tells me, what, what you've been describing uh, is very open theist in that God is involved in a divine struggle. It's not Calvinism. God's not controlling all things. There's no, right. no divine meticulous. God is making Satan fight him and then purposely making right, his agents right. lose time <laughs> due to the struggles. You know, there's nothing like that. Right. God genuinely desires to reach humanity, and he does so through divine agents who can be hindered by forces that oh we, yeah 
We could say that these forces are outside God's control. God's not making these forces fight him. These are these are counter forces to God. Yeah. So so I yeah. think we're we're both on the same page there. So divine warfare is real. Divine warfare is an open theistic concept. Divine warfare means that you know the future's not set. It's not like all things that happen happen by necessity or by fate. There there's a real conflict going on in which yeah, both yeah. sides can gain and lose. Right. See, I, I I've been thinking that for. Or I'd like to say I realized that, you know, for a while. Obviously, I think there's some things are to a certain extent, but definitely not everything. And I mean, it's just, it's 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 inviolable to say that everything is in control and decreed and all that. It just doesn't even it doesn't even make sense. It, yeah, it doesn't support reality. And it seems to me that this is a unnecessary evil, in in that. A lot of people like to view Satan as mm. the anti-God, like Satan exists as a yin and yang to God, and Satan is yes. a counterbalance to God's good. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like that. Satan was a created to be a chief among angels, a divine worshiper of Yahweh who would lead God's forces, it appears, and he rebelled. And so it's not a timeless eternal evil. It's not a, a timeless exactly. eternal conflict. Exactly. This is a divine rebellion against God's sovereignty that God needs to put down within the pages of the Bible. Yeah. Divine, uh, divine warfare. Yeah, that's this actual subject is one thing that I would say that I've actually done work on and I could publish and it's not, you know, it's not I didn't piggyback it off of anything else. It's just something that I learned along the way and I actually use it. And I like to talk about it when I can and Calvinist uh, debates and people who think, you know, everything's determined. Um, and it actually, it, it, you know, it involves the atonement and all that kind of stuff, but it's basically, you know, I call it the, I call it the, I, it's, you know, someone laughed at me the other day because I said, I put the word cosmic in it, but I, I, I call it the cosmic uh, judicial context of the Bible. And I think it's very, very, very important that to be aware of it, because if you're not, then you're, you're, there's things that, okay, not necessarily. I mean, some people may, they may not be familiar with the name, but there, there can be people who don't agree with it, who don't come to necessarily the wrong extreme conclusions, but there, there's a link between not being aware of this and then the idea in Calvinism that how could, how could he die for all people, but not all are saved? Because it's funny because Calvinists, with the things that I say, they'll say, oh, well, you're, you're, you're a universalist. And I'm like, no, I'm not a universalist. And then I always try to refer to this very thing that we're talking about, about mm -hmm. the, the legal context that uh, in the Bible. So. Yeah, I think that's uh, real interesting. And it seems to me, I was watching uh, a Trinity radio podcast video the other day, and it's Braxton Hunter. I don't know if you're familiar with Braxton Hunter. I think I've seen it, seen that the podcast, but I'm yeah. just not familiar with the name. So he's responding to an atheist, and the atheist is like, I'm going to pretend to be a Christian today. Uh, and then he says, uh, doesn't Satan win if he converts more people away from God and to go to hell than... Uh, God converts to go to heaven. And so that mindset, I think I think that mindset 
is in fact popular among Christians that Satan is an agent and apparently his goal is to make people to go to hell. I, I think from reading the Bible that Satan's not a fan of hell. He doesn't want to go to hell. He doesn't want to bring right. people to hell. His, his goal is not to bring people to hell. He's not the ruler of hell. We're, we're not in a Greek religion in which there's a God named Hades and he rules over Hades with oh, a pitchfork. Okay. Uh, exactly, exactly. Satan yeah. doesn't want hell. Satan doesn't want his followers to go to hell. Satan wants to rule the universe. That This is his motivation. Mm. He wants to overthrow God and take over the existing cosmic order. We'll use your word cosmic. Yeah. He wants to take over the existing cosmic order and drive God away. Maybe, maybe not even overthrow, kill God or anything. Maybe just drive God away uh, into a deistic uh, model. But... Okay, so what I would say is that no matter what, now, uh, now, in interestingly, even if he were to get all of humanity, he can't. There is one. There is a reason why he can't. He can't succeed now. Whether he believes it or realizes it, but, 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 but biblically, there's a reason why he he can't. He can't do that. So, and I do, I agree with most of what you said, but I think that he, he does know um, his fate, that that fate is fixed. Um, and he does know that. And he does, because, you know, he comes to steal, kill and destroy. So he does want to, because, you know, you can view, you know, hell or the lake of fire as the second death, you know, like it's called. In eternal destruction, as that as, as it's called in some some places, um, but he I think he does want that because he re, I think he realizes his he realizes his fate and I think that you know having people ultimately destroyed is is in his nature. But at the same time, I do think that he wants to rule the world, like you said. And I mean, in a sense, he he ruled the whole world. Now he doesn't rule. As far as kingdoms, now he now he doesn't. He only he only rules what Paul refers to as this world. He used to kind of own. He actually, in the thing I was talking about earlier about the the work that I was doing, is he actually he actually had um, a place per se in heaven. Um, legally, he had a, he had a place in heaven, and that's why in Revelation twelve. It says no longer was there a place found for him in heaven any longer. And that's actually is talking about the third heaven, not the second heaven, because there was a reason. And there was a I don't know if you want to call it a, a territory, but that he had uh, a place as as a sinful being who had already been cast down. Uh, when Jesus said he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He could still go up there for a reason. And now he can't. Because in Revelation 12 says that no longer was there a place found for him in heaven. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of people talk about Satan, but we don't talk about his motivations. Uh, people tend not to try to put themselves in Satan's, in his shoes to try to figure out what motivates and drives him. They, they think he's just motivated by evil, where, whereas I think his motivation is power. His motivation is self-exaltation. Yeah. And it's not like he wants everyone to become druggies and die because you don't, you don't really get very much power from that. 
you'd probably get more power from converting a powerful CEO, the CEO of Google, uh, to start implementing your worldview. That's probably a better strategic move and then, uh, mm. you know, sabotaging the underclass. There we go. Okay, so that that's interesting. That brings up the point. And uh, Michael Heiser has talked about this. It it reminds me of the fact that he wants to stall, you know, because Jesus said the gospel will be preached to all nations, then the end will come. He wants to stall that. So he's going to stall. And I think this fits into open theism. I think it's open. Um, the fact that he can he can prolong, he has a part in, you know, and God does too. I mean, God's not totally out of control, but he has a part in this stalling because, like I said, I'm believe it's bibl- biblically accurate that he can that he you know like it says for he knows his time is short, right? Um, so he knows also that which I think relates to what you were just saying, he knows that if he can stall that, the preaching of the gospel to all nations, he's, he wants to buy himself time. Not necessarily buy, I mean, maybe buy is the wrong word, but he wants to gain, I guess I should say. He, he wants to gain time because he... Right, yeah. It's, yeah. Already, it's already, the gavel's already been brought down on him for one. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Satan is an open theist. So he believes that the future is mutable. It can change. The future doesn't have a exact specific thing that plays out. It, it's not a set movie and that he could modify it to his own advantage. It, it was funny in college. I was at this uh, a medical school Bible study. I, I didn't go to medical school, medical school, but it was, it's, it's always good to hang out with med students because they're, <laughs> they're kind of smart. You know, I don't know. And there was a lot of attractive ladies there. So that also uh, drove my motivations. But we were talking about this story in Job, and uh, there, there's a divine bet that goes on there. And this right. one girl was very adamant about, like, talk, talking about what's going on here. And I said, well, well, it's a bet to see how, you know, uh, how Job is going to turn out. But And she said, well, doesn't God know everything? Why would, why would Satan make this bet if God knew the future? And she was using it as like a counterpoint to me because she didn't know I was open theist. I was like, right. and I do like a little nose thing. It's like, you hit it on the head. Uh, the, the Satan in Job doesn't believe that the future is fixed and believes genuinely that uh, this test is meaningful for Job's life to see if Job is going to curse God or if Job is going to praise God in his suffering. This is an open question. Yeah. Yeah, so, and yeah, I, I I agree, and I so, mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, divine warfare is a thoroughly open theistic notion in which the forces of darkness, the forces of evil, have legitimate goals that they think they can achieve, which motivates their actions in right. in the world. Right. So I think we should move back to the precognition. So we we kind of. Okay. We kind of mentioned that briefly and threw that out, but we we haven't talked too much about it. So, okay. are are you familiar with? You're familiar with Joseph. Everyone's familiar with Joseph. He is one of the premier dream interpreters in the Bible, and yeah. the interesting thing about these dreams that he interprets, he has his own dreams. One of his dreams, the first one that we encounter, is all these stars, the sun and moon, bowing down to him, 
And he's he's an arrogant little 17-year-old at the time. And so he runs to his brothers. And I don't know if he's 17 at the time, but he's like a little kid. Yeah, he, he runs to his sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he, he's, he's a little naive. He doesn't have too much experience dealing with people. And he tells his brothers about this dream. Uh, j- just to make them mad, apparently it's just just uh, to aggravate them and to puff himself up. But in his dream, his uh, mother is the moon and his mother's bowing down to him. But his mother is dead at this time. So the, the dream is highly symbolic, but it does get fulfilled within his lifetime in which his brothers come to Egypt and they all bow down. So, the, so some of the details aren't one-to-one correlation with what actually happens, but his dream plays out within the, his lifetime, which, which I find very interesting for multiple reasons. Number one, that this dream seems to be a divine implant. This dream seems to be from God or linked to the divine realm in some manner. We also find, uh, remember the, the loaf of bread? I think it was in uh, uh, Gideon, in an in instance of Gideon, where Gideon is going to overthrow, uh, I don't know, the Midianites. And they go down to, they sneak into the camp, and there's two soldiers talking about a dream they had. And the dream is, like a loaf of bread, like, right? That's just killing them all or destroying them. And everyone involved in the story, the person who had the dream, the person who's listening to the dream, Gideon in that instance, they, they all take this dream as a serious dream, something, some sort of connection to the divine realm, giving them some sort of precognition about events that are going to happen. In in the story, it looks like this dream might might be a plant by God. God is implanting this dream. Not all dreams in the Bible are necessarily plants from God, but and a lot of these dreams, when they're discussed in the Bible, they they have correlation to the real world. They tell people about things that will happen. Uh, Joseph in prison interpreting the dreams of uh, the, the baker, baker and, and, the, yeah. and the butcher. Uh, they they we're we're not sure if these dreams are from God. Uh, but they do have links to the divine realm that tell people something meaningful about future events that are going to happen. Hmm. So in, in, in all these senses and, and, and how the ancients, they viewed and interpreted dreams, visions, prophecies, uh, it, it seemed to be a fairly normal occurrence that they associated what they dreamed, uh, their, their visions, with future events that would occur, not necessarily on a one-to-one correlation, but the divine realm seems to be able to have some understanding of events that are going to unfold in some manner. Hmm. Okay. So that that's that's my that's my take on uh, uh, dreams in the Bible. You you find dreams in ancient literature as well. For example, Augustine's mother Monica had dreams about him converting to Christianity. Those came through. You had dreams in the Acts of Paul, which is a, like apocrypha type literature, in which those dreams also come true. Dreams were a very important element for people's link to the divine world. And I think a lot of times in modern culture in modern America, we might underplay the divine. We might underplay uh, people's people's prophecy experience, people's personal so. connection. And a lot of times someone like you, maybe you come out and uh, you say something and you might be instantly dismissed as crazy or I'm not trying to say anything like oh, you're yeah, crazy no, or anything. You might, people might be instantly dismissed <laughs> as crazy or 
or off their rocker, or maybe maybe schizophrenic. Um, you, you'll find psych wards filled with people who make very interesting claims. Not all of these claims are going to be, of course, accurate. So there is real schizophrenia that does exist. There's there's real right. mental disorders that do exist. But just the basic American Western tendency to dismiss these things without consideration, it seems to be a large departure from the culture of the ancient world in which dreams are a legitimate connection to the divine realm. They link they link us with Ooh. something in the divine. I got a question for you. Yes. Good one. Okay, you remember, so in the Old Testament, it's, there seems to be, like we were saying, an emph emphasis on seers, right? Prophets yeah. and seers. Do you think, in your opinion, do you think some of this, so it seems that you've already indicated that not all dreams or prophecies that do come true have to be directly from God? Right. Okay, so... Do you think that there there were accurate seers, prophets in the ancient world that were not follow followers of Yahweh? It, it seems that way. Dream interpretation was a booming business. Uh, there there were people who were paid for their skills in dream interpretation. We 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 find that in Daniel, uh, he tries to hire all the dream interpreters to come. We we find also in in the instance of Joseph, the king has dream interpreters on staff. This is a real and thriving profession. We find letters yeah. in the ancient world where people are paid. There, there's a book of dream interpretations in Egypt that, that talk about, well, if this happens, this, then this is kind of what that means. This is, and it can't be, it can't be the case that they're always wrong. It can't be the case that uh, there's never no correct predictions. Just random random chance tells you that sometimes things are going to work out the way someone says it they're going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, well, the one thing, kind of like a rebuttal, but yet a question at the same time. In the case of Daniel, oh, okay, I think I answered my own question. So whenever um, the 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 enchanters or whatever depending on the interpretation that uh nebuchadnezzar summons they tell him that this is impossible only only someone who hears from the gods could tell this right because nebuchadnezzar's instance was uh, a little bit different because uh, from what i remember he he makes them tell him what he's dreamed without him telling him his dream right. exactly yeah that's the difference is where they don't have a dream to interpret yeah, they they have to come. They have to basically engage in mind reading, which they they don't seem to have access to that. And so it seems to be in that case that the person right. who's implanting the dream, which would be Yahweh, uh, is then communicating that dream which was implanted in that other subject. He's communicating that his dream that he implanted in Nebuchadnezzar. He's implant. He's also communicating that to Daniel. And so Daniel has a inside inside connection someone to uh, communicate to him the contents of that dream right but uh so i i would be hesitant i i think i think in the divine realm uh, not all dreams are from god and there, right. there there seems to be some sort of connection between future events and and the divine realm that some some things play out according to 
what we would consider maybe precognition, which does not mean that things are faded. It doesn't mean that things can't happen otherwise. It seems to be more of, uh, you know, it's accurate hmm, predictions or it, sorry. accurate predictions or, or, or visions of how things most likely will play out. Or there might be guiding forces to, to bring things into that picture that we have already crafted. So then how, how does that relate to the, and how does that qualify the, the Deuteronomy test? Well, so the Deuteronomy test, uh, we have to wonder how that's applied, who that's applied to, and, and the extent of it. Is it hyperbole? Is it, was this something that was ever enforced? God says that, uh, if he if if there's prophets who prophesy correctly, he's implanted these these prophets just to test them too. So there's there's a lot of statements within these tests that we have to wonder to what extent are they saying what we think they're saying? To what extent are they hyperbole or what to what extent are they a rule of thumb rather than an absolute? Uh, you talking about the test itself or the prophecies that are up for? All right. So there's there's a verse in the Bible that says that if there's any false prophets, their prophecies coming from God to test you. Right. You know mm-hmm. what I'm referencing? I, I don't know the reference offhand. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. So. uh Number one, does this apply only to Israel? Is this the world over? Is this uh, in just this specific context? Is this just a way to? Well, yeah, it's is like it you, you definitely time specific. Can't, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You definitely can't um, exclude the inside of Israel context for sure, because it's like it's like it automatically assumes. Um. Oh, actually right here, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So it's like in that inside of Israel context, it seems to be that there's only the only prophecy that matters. I don't know. I could be wrong is he says in my name. So, because he, he condemns speaking in the name of another god, so that prevents other spiritual beings of giving a prophecy in Israel. Yeah. So, so check this out. Um, it's not. We we could we could talk about the other verses too, but in Deuteronomy thirteen one, and Christians, ha- this is one of those verses where Christians they don't know how to take, they don't know what to do with this information, and thirteen one. Yeah, Deuteronomy thirteen one. They they tend to ignore that this verse exists, that this passage exists. Yeah, I got if it if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, look look at the dream connection. Dream dreams are a big deal in the Bible. Dreams yeah. mean something. Dreams are a connection to the divine world. And he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes oh, to pass. So yeah. guess what? Guess what? These are false prophets and their interpretations are coming to pass. So it is a thing that the Bible admits happens of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them. 
You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, you shall so, walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Okay, so what is... Okay, so I see. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet. Yeah, so uh, in even this case... Even if it comes true. Even if it, it comes can. true. And, yeah, and it can come true. Um, if he, he's... You know, they sometimes these false prophets are going to get things right. It could be due to happenstance. You know, it just just accidentally their their prophecy comes true. Uh, but it possibly could be come true due to demonic activity. Maybe he says, "Oh, uh, you know, World Trade Center is going to fall," and then maybe demons encourage people to fly airline jets into them, something like that. So demons have power as well they have volition they have will and uh right, if right. they want to consolidate their power they might actually use prophecy as a way to bolster their image and uh, create a following oh, so sure. they're they're not without power to accomplish and that's the the girl that paul rebuked when remember the girl that he rebuked in the was it an axe yeah and she used to make money for the family Absolutely, and and she, I think she might have been a dream interpreter as well. Or and and dream interpretation is a serious business. I I, I don't know if I could stress this enough in, in the in the Bible, but it is a link to the divine realm. Not all dreams, not all dreams are, but I they're not dismissed in in the Bible. Dreams are they're considered, you know, revelation, or they're 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 considered some sort of connection with the divine world. So I will not. I will not uh, discredit anyone, or I won't make fun of anyone, or dismiss yeah, no, anyone I mean, that, based on their dreams. That seems like actually, you know, I've seen that verse before, and I didn't really think about it, but that does make me. You see, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable subjecting to myself to the things that we've just talked about because I, you know, His Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm a child of God. You know, I know that, so I'm not like, okay, I'll just. You know, let's say the the two weather ones I had, let's just say somehow they were from the divine realm and they weren't from directly from God. I mean, that's not going to, you know, I haven't done anything. You know, I haven't, number one, okay, so number one, I haven't gone and tried to gain anything from it. I haven't, yeah. you know, tried to start a ministry or do anything like that. So I don't have any shame in that regard. So, you know, assuming that there's a way to find out let's just assume that that was from the divine realm per se but not from god it's not gonna crush right me. and the key yeah. thing about that there is uh in deuteronomy 13 1 i'll pull it up again uh so they they tell a sign or they tell a wonder that sign or wonder comes to pass and then they say let's go after other gods uh you're you're not preaching a different god exactly. right and right. so uh, even if the divine realm, and let's say the divine realm, just for sake of argument, is impersonal, and there's some sort of impersonal connection with the future, which gives people maybe some sort of precognition abilities about future events that happen, and there's no divine agents involved. We'll just say this hypothetically. Yeah. If if that if our dreams can tap into that divine world, and we could get information from that, and we 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 communicate that information to others, we're not. We're not really acting so much as a prophet, but as just a communicator of, of some sort of divine truths. We're not acting as an agent of anyone in particular. And so I, I don't yeah. think we should worry, worry too much about that. See, that, that's see to me, the 
it, it seemed like it was around a month or a little less than a month ahead, but the the intentionality of the difference in the two that I mentioned, I think that's doesn't necessarily. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I think that that's something special. I do. I personally, as of right now, I do. I think that that's something, I think that that's something basically that, you know, knowledge, no amount of knowledge could know, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's not something anyone could figure out or even a, even a uh, computer program could figure out up to a, up to a certain time ahead, uh, maybe, but it's just, there's so many variables and this has to do this. And then this has to do that, you know? So, but I mean, but like I said, I'm not trying to use it for anything. So it's just kind of, you know, I'm in the still, you know, open to talk about it. And besides I haven't been, I know it's a lesson of something that's for sure. But I, I think one of the main things to remember for anyone that may hear this is that like, the first thing would be that I'm not trying to gain anything on anybody or command anybody to do anything or whatever, you know? And then number two, like you said, it's not, uh, obviously in the name of another God or anything. So, and plus, you know, it'd be different if I hadn't had all these other experiences that I will die with for sure. I'll, you know, because I know that I know that I know that I know that, it was God who spoke to me audibly, you know, I've been through that process and all that. Not that I wouldn't still be, have someone ask me questions, which is fine. But, you know, that's my foundation is, is, is sure. So it's not going to like, you know, it wouldn't shake me to the core or anything, but, you know, I, 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 I believe it's, it's a lesson of some sort. Cause I ask myself what I still, you know, what would, um, you know, what would a, um, a, a, a prophet, a prophecy like that, what would that look like today? And it, and, you know, the prophecy in the old Testament was a lot different, you know, it's, it's the Lord said, you know, and I'm not saying the Lord said, I'm just, so, yes. So a, a prophet typically is described as someone who's communicating, uh, the words of God. And right. often God's current intent in in light of current circumstances, which is subject to change based on the course of the world. You know, like Nineveh, yeah, yeah, that's the famous yeah. one. It's like God intends to destroy you. And then okay. then in uh, it reads in chapter 3, the last verse, that God saw that they had turned from their ways and God repented of the thing that he said he yeah. would do. Yeah, he changed so, his mind. Yeah, based on changing circumstances. And see, now that that makes a lot of sense with why, like I myself was saying, that it has more to do with teaching. You see, you you see what I'm saying? You see the correlation, and why it has more to do with teaching, you know, and the fact that God's word is already, you know, the law and the prophets were until John, and the canons closed and all that. So, you know, the the slate is already laid down. The OT prophets were part of the laying down of that slate. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not going down. That's not happening anymore. So it, it, it has more to do with prophecy and a prophet of, as far as uh, new Testament has more to do with teaching than it does have to do with, and, and teaching on the whole council of God than it does um, 
prophesying future events. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main reasons I wanted to talk today is to talk about the divine realm, the spiritual, the link to divine warfare that we we see that that people in today's world legitimately experience and to talk about, you know, how modern Americans, we we like to rationalize everything. We like to uh, yeah. uh, try to find explanations for all sorts of things. We, we diagnose everyone with some sort of uh, mental disorder if they don't exactly. act or behave or think in the right way. This is what uh, everyone hears me all the time talk about how 12 Monkeys is my one of my favorite movies. And part of the reason is that there's a psychiatrist in this movie and she is conflicted, personally conflicted over the fact that her, her training has told her to diagnose this individual who's exhibiting strange behaviors, diagnose him with a mental disorder. But more and more evidence has led her to believe that his, what he's stating is correct. And so she's dealing with a worldview shift and she grows as a character throughout the movie to understand that that how she's been brought up, her worldview, uh, doesn't align necessarily with reality. She was quick to dismiss as a mental disorder something with evidence for being actual. Right. One second. You keep t- keep talking. I'm just going to – I have to cancel child care. <laughs> you have to, so, ch- have to cancel ch- – that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, well, because I was going to go – work tonight but i'm ill so i'm not gonna go so i gotta tell the babysitter not to come blah blah blah. fantastic i'm still listening yeah so divine warfare it happens uh you read testimonies of people who've had encounters with demons the demonic you talk to i want to tell you about uh, uh, i want to tell you about the most major encounter i've had i think it would be good to talk about but anyways go ahead yeah, so you talk to pastors, they have encountered people like like normal pastors in in a private setting. It's not like they're advertising this in their sermons and stuff, but they've right. had encounters with demon-possessed people, people who who are fine one minute and uh they're physically deformed or physically um strained by some sort of possessed demon the next to the extent that they're worried for their own safety. Uh these these things happen, and just the amount of testimony that I've heard uh, from other people, it you know I believe these things are real. I believe these things happen. I believe uh, I believe that uh, it's it hasn't died down. That that there's the spiritual right. warfare still exists. That God is still okay. active in the world. God is still fighting the demonic powers, and I believe we see this play out. Yeah. Do you so? Just real quick, do you think it's? Do you think? Do you expect it? to get more intense as, you know, I'm not saying it's now, but as the time comes near, you know, that's a good question. So what, what is God doing with the apocalypse? Why, why is there the the delay? Now these are, these are legitimate questions. I'm not saying that I, I have answers to the questions. What, why are we 2000 years removed from Jesus without a second coming without God restoring justice to the world? Yeah. Multiple reasons. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so the answer to your question is, are these things going to uh, intensify? Um, are probably tied to whatever solution there is to these questions of what has delayed the coming of God. Right. Um, well, yeah, we can 
talk about that still if you want. Um, can I share my experience? Yeah, your demonic experience. I'd be very interested yeah. in that. Um, so I have a, a childhood friend, a child, one of my childhood best friends who got off into, uh, you know, substance abuse and alcohol, but alcohol became his main thing and he became an alcoholic. And um, so shortly after becoming a Christian, I hadn't seen him yet. And I said to myself, I said, oh, I'm going to go preach the gospel to him. That's my mission. I'm going over to his house to hang out, but I'm doing that first. And that's my number one mission. Right. <clears throat> and he lives, he lived in this area. He doesn't anymore. And so this, and this is early in my, my, my walk. And so I don't know anything about these things. This is what makes it more cool. And I mean, I walk in the door, I get there at night, seven o'clock. And the moment I lay eyes on him for the first time of seeing him after being a Christian, I see black all around here. That's the best way to explain it. Black all around here. Around his eyes. Abnormal shadowing. Abnormal shadowing. And like almost like the white in the eyes, because I see it now, I know how to recognize it now. Is It's not glowing, but it's a little bit more intensified. I would just say like if you turned up the brightness, it's, it's a little bit enough to where you can tell but the black was all around it. So I come in and I'm just immediately taken by that. And, you know, God, he makes it to where I can, I can sense the, the entity and I sense it. I can feel it. I can feel this. The best way to explain, I can feel its posture and I can feel that it's upset and that it's also threatened. And I'm not trying to brag on myself or anything because I guess it knew recognize me or whatever that I was coming to preach the gospel or we can get, go off on a tangent on how, you know, they can communicate and know things ahead of time, blah, blah, blah. But um, I could feel its posture and it was like, it was, it was like this, it was upset and it was guarding him. And I could feel that. And it said, and this all happened within like less than 10 seconds. And it said, he's mine just like that. And when it said it, it's like something flew and hit me in the chest and then I could feel it like go doom on my chest and then fear shot through my whole body like the, the adrenaline dump or whatever you know not to the full fullest extent but I definitely felt it and I mean when it said that I could feel its posture it was like guarding him and it said he's mine like that and I'm just like witnessing this and just taken back like whoa and uh and I wasn't afraid but I was just like surprised and so later that night, we actually got to the part where I started just laying out the gospel to him. And this is this is exactly what happened. He goes, ah, he goes, I try, I try, but I just can't understand. That's exactly what he said. But that was that was my first experience with that. And it, it communicated with me. I could feel its posture. I could I couldn't see a form, but I could see with my eyes something that it was there. And then it ended up, like I said, later, he ended up saying he can't understand the gospel. And then eventually, like a year or two later, we ended up watching the Passion of the Christ together uninterrupted and talked about it and stuff. So but he he went downhill after that later because his uh, his wife passed away. Mm -hmm. I think he's he's doing better now, but he, he that, you know, that rocked him pretty good. So that that was the first experience I've had. Yeah, I, th I think I think the divine realm 
the satanic forces, it's, it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to play with these things. Uh, we don't let our kids play with Ouija boards or play Bloody Mary in, in the mirror or try conjurings. That sort, exactly. of, that sort of stuff is, is dangerous. Uh, I think it's interesting in the Witch of Endor instance in which yep. uh, Witch of Endor has actual divine power. And so she she's a person, uh, you know, the Witch of Endor we, with uh, Samuel. Yep, and he's, sure. uh, Samuel's being summoned by Saul. And God wants these people killed um, and wiped out, not because they're frauds, but because they actually have links to the demonic, right? And she's able to successfully summon up uh, essentially a Yahweh worshiper uh, from the dead in order to communicate with Saul. She has that power. She has that connection to the divine. We, we also see Balaam. Uh, I, I, there was a big conversation on God is Open about Balaam. And uh, so I'm, I'm putting out a podcast directly all about Balaam. And he also seems to be a pagan priest with link to the divine. The interesting yeah. thing about Balaam's world is that he's able to commune with Yahweh. He's he's able to talk to Yahweh, uh, have interactions with Yahweh, hmm. and uh, preach on Yahweh's behalf. There's a spirit possession that we read for his third his third prophecy in advance of Israel's cause when he blesses Israel the third time he's. He's he, the the king Balak tries to entice him multiple times to prophesy against Israel. Right. And the third right. time we see almost a, like a Yahweh possession, like like sometimes there's demonic possessions, and sometimes there's like Yahweh possessions, or possession possessions, spiritual possessions that are in advance of Yahweh's cause, as opposed to demonic possessions. These things seem to be seem to actually happened throughout the Bible. And of course, uh, we, we talked about it before. It seems to be only with the willing, uh, that uh, unwilling people might not get uh, possessed. Mm. Well, you know, what's, uh, what's interesting is there was a period of time where <clears throat> within the last two years where God, he showed me what it was going to, what it would be like. And I'm assuming this is for a future thing. You know, that's one of the things that I have to deal with too, is like, cause another part of the story is, and I, I told on the, um, the post that night is how, when I was at the parking lot to um, find out if I had cancer or not, that's when he said, he said, I'm giving you a choice. You can stay here. You can come home and be with me or you can stay home. And, um, it's for the, for what I've called you for that, you know, so, and of course I didn't know what that was. <clears throat> um, well, so jumping forward back to the, like I said, a couple of years ago, he, I could, he showed me what it's like to work for him to put a word on my, to word on my lips. And I could, I could, I, I say, feel, I could feel it there. And it's like a, I'm trying to figure out how to explain it because the point I'm getting at is that I didn't have to say it, but it's almost like as, as if I, it's already there of what he wants to say. And if I just go with it, it's like a unison. It's like we're working together and I'm cooperating with him, but it has a feeling and stuff too. And then he was telling me that like, and I've, I've, I've taken that and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is why it was showing me. It's like, as far as like uh prophecy wise, and speaking like 
but but nothing has happened or he said say this you know this is he, he that hasn't happened and um you know i think he was and there was a lesson there and, and and he actually told me too he's like he showed me that and then he was like so don't say anything and say it's prophesying unless that's happening and it was very very clear and that only that only happened that one time and and like i said i could feel it in my i could feel it in my stomach as well i could literally feel it on my lips the words on my lips that's the best way i can the best way i can explain it and then to be honest he actually had me wanted me to say something as a test and i was too scared to do it <laughs> and I, I didn't do it which i beat myself up for and i'm like oh man i hope i didn't mess everything up and not mess future up but like i hope that didn't like you know really make him mad <laughs> yeah that, but, that is pretty interesting in in the bible you see i especially in the balaam incidents which is very telling where two times he prophesies almost basically on his own volition. Uh, God gives him a message. They have a conversation. God says, go say this. And then he goes and he seems to be under his own cognition, his own will to say whatever. And then the third time is where like the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And then I don't know, maybe it's figurative. Maybe he just uh, became riled up. But it, it seems to me that there's actually something divine going on in which uh, he's been given some sort of divine direct speech. Is what it's what it seems like to me, and it seems like we find this distinction in various prophets throughout the Bible. Like Ezekiel is known as an ecstatic prophet, that he would go into the ecstatic frenzies. You know, like like uh, like Saul. Saul Saul was an ecstatic as well, where where he would go into these frenzy prophesying about a lot of people they don't they don't uh, link the king king Saul with a prophet but king Paul or king Saul was a prophet who would prophesy on behalf of Yahweh in these True. almost tran trance states oh uh, you know you, you know what's very interesting is what we've thought about and we've been trying to reason about with the Ephesians 4 and there's people that write on it is one of the questions has been, and it's been it's been proposed by some of the people that are considered to be the leaders, and it's not a movement. I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to call it a movement, but I, I get a movement of acceptance. Now, this is assuming that these people have a very strong biblical, you know, real Christian foundation first, because you know that if you don't have that, I mean, you're, you know, you're in trouble. But one of the questions has been is in what they uh, propose is that when he, when he, um, let me go to it real quick. When he gave gifts to men, they think that he gave those types of, and this actually seems to make sense with what we're talking about. It almost seems that it's um, putting some puzzle pieces together actually, but, that basically everybody is given these types of gifts per se, but they don't really come into a line with people who don't accept, you know, who don't end up believing in Christ. And that's one of the things they think. So, so basically what they're saying is, and it's kind of goes into what, what, with what we're talking about, because they say there are people in the unbelieving world that are, that are um, oriented in these yeah. types of ways. They this have exactly divine what we've gifts. Been talking about. They, exactly what we've been like talking about. They're like the witch of Endor. 
there you go. So that that actually this that seems to have given given me at least some clarity on the subject, and I, I really appreciate that because that's one of the things that been, me and the pastor have been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're about at like uh, two hours and sixteen minutes. So we oh, probably. Wow should start wrapping up. So uh, it's not like a four hour conversation or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, I thank you for coming on and I, I thank you for this conversation. I think it's really important. It's it's a underemphasized part of the Bible, the divine realm and how it interplays with our world. And so it's, it's good to understand that divine warfare is real. Uh, there oh, are yeah. demonic <laughs> elements in this world. There is a connection to the divine. That dreams do often mean things that we just don't dismiss people based on, uh, you know, our rationalism, our, our Western rationalism. Just dismiss anything they say as, oh, that's psychosis. Oh, you don't know what you're saying. Right. Uh, take them seriously. Look for evidence. That doesn't mean we we just blindly accept everyone at, at everything they say. Uh, it's it's okay to question in the Bible. There's tests for questioning, and you know is is the thing coming true, and what what are they trying to do with this thing coming true? Exactly. And so there's tests. We're not supposed to be blind, uh, blindly accept everything, but right. it's it's something that exists that we need to take seriously rather than being dismissive of. Right, and and I think that you know this conversation was great and what's funny is our first conversation you know we talked about validation and, and, and you said I was seeking validation well I think you know it got we got I got kind of confused and whatever we miscommunicated with each other in the beginning but you know it wasn't my ultimate purpose but it is funny it seems to have brought some validation you know it's it's in other words it's been very uh very fruitful and it makes me think that if perhaps everyone who eventually watches this, I know I'm going to be thinking about this more is what you just said about how, you know, being dismissive, if the, the, the body of Christ and people were not so dismissive, I mean, that could be the doorway to faith in Christ to a lot of people, to people out there that we encounter that may not be believers. You know, we want to say yet that um, have supernatural experiences and that the majority of people, you know, dismiss, or the body of Christ can automatically assume, oh well, that's demonic, that's demonic. But this 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 conversation seems to, for me, has been has been fruitful, and seems like it brings some clarity to that. And that I think that this is a way, something that can be gained from this dialogue is if people could um, keep that in mind when encountering people that we work with or whoever when they tell us their supernatural experiences. Just like you said, so it's, it's been great. Yeah, I think it's been great. And uh, yeah, again, again, uh, when we, we first met and first conversed, uh, I wasn't, I was a little bit inflammatory and I was downright mean to you. I misunderstood you and uh, I apologize for that. It was no uh, problem at all. No that's definitely all. something I shouldn't have done. I should have, uh, you know, uh, acted better towards you. And, but and, and, uh, and I, oh, sorry, yeah, go, go for it. And I was going to say, and, I, and I, I'm sure I could learn how to, you know, communicate more in a, communicate in a better way and not be so forceful right away, assuming mm. that people know what I mean, you know, stuff like that. Right. So the, I, you know, the validation claim, just to, ex to explain to the audience, uh, like, like we're, you're a grown man and I'm a grown man 
And so I shouldn't do things for like public praise, like, oh, everyone look at me, how smart I am. That's like virtue signaling. Like uh, right. a good example is uh, if some sort of tragedy happens and, and in uh, Paris, everyone changes their little flags to some sort of Paris thing. It's, right. it's a virtue signaling. And it's a way to tell everyone your beliefs so everyone to, can heap praise on you. So as grown men, we don't look for validation. And so right, exactly. we, we accept criticism. We look to refine ourselves and to make ourselves grow. And just having a positive, positive feedback loop is not a way to grow as a human being. And so it's good to interact with people who don't, don't agree with you or hate you or, hmm. or yeah, it's, good, it's good to interact with people who hate you. Are, sure. are challenged why it is you believe what you believe. For example, that one individual in a conversation with you stated, well, in my experience, it seems like some of these things are just like a mental construct. Like, you know, you, brains can trick themselves into believing things fairly easy. So that's a possibility with your current experiences. That's something right. we have to say that could be the case. And how would we exactly. test to see if that is the case? Uh, I should put probably wrestle with that and see if that's more probable than what I currently believe. Right, right, right. By asking, like you could, well, have you considered this? And then, and what's funny is my answer would be, well, actually, and not that it makes that, that, that dialogue invalid, but my answer would, would be actually I have, I've put myself up to much scrutiny and just, you know, because it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. And, yeah, you know, and I realize that. And that's why, you know, in a way, I've just subjected myself to you indirectly. I mean, right. I have and whoever else sees this. So, I mean, it's it's not always the most comfortable process, but and, and it's done. it's really important just to just 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 to stress a basic fact of life that rational people can look at the same data and come to different conclusions. Uh, it, it's there's rational people can disagree. Uh, based on different interpretations of the data, so exactly. it's, we 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 can't be so dismissive or so defensive over our our own private interpretation of any data set. Right. Yep. All right. So I think that covers basically everything we're trying to cover. Um, if if anyone wants to talk to you, they could uh, post. Are you going to watch for YouTube comments and respond to YouTube comments? I, I yeah, guess. yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you how I have a a YouTube channel. How how could we get? I mean, I don't well, know. Well, send me the link. I'll put that link in my video, and so then if people want to check out their your YouTube channel, they could go through that link, or they commit could they could submit comments directly on this YouTube video or in the God is open Facebook group, they could tag you. You're a member of the group. And so you're there. And, yeah. And well, you, you know what? I think, I think I'll just, well, no, cause then I won't be able to comment on YouTube on your YouTube thing. Will I, uh, you should be able to comment on my YouTube thing or respond to people. Yeah. Yeah. I sh I sh I'll be able to respond as long as I'm signed in. And if and they tag you or video, something, yeah, yeah. If I go to your video while I'm signed in, then yeah. So yeah. We'll just do that instead of put it on uh, my channel because I don't even know how to get the link to my channel anyways. It's been so dormant. But uh, but yeah, yeah post, so I think it, YouTube just changed their policy where you have to be signed in to comment. And then right, right. All, all videos which are flagged only for children can't be commented on. And so it's we're in changing times, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Technology's yeah. changing. And yeah, so I'll, put it, I'll, put it, put it yeah. wherever and then just 
hope you know whatever you feel like and then i can access it from there yeah i'm very interested in dreams supernatural experiences experiences with the demonic element uh precognition of events is very interesting to me Anything like that, I'd uh, love to talk about. Uh, just anyone listening, put comments, questions down below, or start a thread on God is Open. Thank you for listening, and I'd like to thank my guest for coming on, Justin. Yes, thank, thank you, you for for having me, Chris. It was very it was very good. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Oh, All right, talk to you we'll, later.